invite you to turn in God's word to the book of Hosea, one of the minor prophets. We're going to read a few verses, verses 1 through 9 of chapter 1 and a few verses in chapter 2, and then we're going to go to 1 John chapter 3 for two verses. We're in the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Hosea the son of Beerah during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dablaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And will come about on that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I should ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord their God. And will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ammi. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Then we get over to chapter 2, and I'm going to back up actually to verse 18. He says, In that day I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the creeping things of the ground. Then I will establish the bow, the sword, excuse me, abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and will make them lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. It will come about in that day that I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the heavens, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain and to the new wine and to the oil. And they will respond to Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, Thou art my God. And the Apostle John in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 1, says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet that we shall be. We know that if he should appear, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it, for your Holy Spirit, who alone can help us understand and apply it, and pray that through this word you would always lead us to Christ. We ask it with thanks in his blessed name. Amen. When I was invited to be a part of this baptism and had that on this occasion, Steve now, he asked me also if I could preach. He's on vacation, by the way, and he both, he and I both said what an appropriate time it would be to speak on the doctrine of the adoption of all God's children, that glorious, wondrous doctrine, whereby God, the holy God, brings lost and unworthy sinners into his family through Jesus Christ. Because there was a time when not a single one of us here were his children, a time when we were not in his family. And that's why I chose that passage in Hosea. You notice he gives those names. They seem funny to us in the Hebrew, but he said, name her Lo-Ruhamah, which means she has not obtained compassion. And then she has the second son and says, name him Lo-Ami, 
which means not my people. But then he turns it around. He shows us covenant in chapter 2 that he's going to have a, establish his covenant with his people. Unworthy as we are, where we break it, he fulfills it. And he says now in verse 23, I will sow her for myself in the land. I will have compassion on her that is on lo ruhema. I will have compassion on the one who had not obtained compassion. I will say to those who were not my people too, lo am I, you are am I, you are my people. And they will say, thou art my God. That's the doctrine of adoption. It's glorious. In the New Testament, when it pictures how lost sinners become adopted into the family of God, become his children, it gives three clear pictures. One, my nose keeps, I'm sorry about that. Uh, One is, it pictures them in a court of law. Uh, Regardless of whether we plead guilty or not, it's clear we are guilty. The law has done its justice. The soul that sins must die. And we have no ground, no leg to stand upon, uh, nothing to fall back on except to say, you know, the judge said, how do you plead? We're honest. I said, we are guilty, guilty to the core. And we're under the sentence of God's righteous wrath and condemnation of death. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ steps in and takes our place and our sin, our guilt before this holy judge and receives the full punishment, the full and righteous wrath of God that our sins might be forgiven and we might be justified in his presence. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the Romans when he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. Propitiation, as you know, means that God satisfies the law. He makes right, right where we have failed. Uh, He puts us back in a right relationship and standing. It's all right. We better baptize her again. <laughs> it's all right. Justification is a big word, but it's a wonderful word because it means God is declaring us right before his sight now. We're justified in his presence uh, through the work of Jesus Christ. So that's one way the New Testament shows us. We're under God's law. We're condemned. We deserve to die. And Christ takes that judgment and that death in our place. Another way it pictures us is as sinners that are cut off from God. And what is it that cuts us off from God but our sin? You saw it in the Garden of Eden. They had a perfect relationship with the Lord until the fall. And then when they knew God was coming, they tried to hide and get away uh, because there was that broken relationship. But in Christ, who comes and through his blood abolishes our sin, blots it out so that cast it into the depths of the sea. It says, I will remember your sins no more. Completely forgives us. Remember, name him Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. He comes and takes that sin away. So as one person put it, we can, now we no longer have to look on God in fear. Now we need to fear him, have reverence for him, but we don't have to be afraid like this terrible God is going to somehow smush us, which is what we deserve. But he's our father. We no longer look on him in fear, and he, get this, the holy God no longer looks on us in displeasure. He doesn't look at Bill Everett or you if you're a Christian and see our sins. He looks on us and sees his son and his blood and his righteousness. Reconciliation, the one mediator between God and man that brings us back to the Father. In Colossians, Paul says it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile, that is to bring us back to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. All, and although you were formerly alienated, again, we were cut off by our sins, alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in the evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled, again, brought back. And how did he do it? in his fleshly body through death. And then a third way it pictures us is as people who are in bondage. 
Just like the children of Israel were all those years in Egypt under Pharaoh's rule and dominion and the tyranny that was going on there, we're in bondage to sin and death, our own spiritual natures, to Satan, and Jesus Christ comes and triumphs over them all so that we can say, as the scripture says, we're more than conquerors through Christ, him who loved us and gave himself for us. The Exodus is such a beautiful picture of what God did for Israel in that historical moment. He did infinitely more when he frees us from our bondage to a far greater enemy than the Egyptians. And he does it through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. He says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem, again, bring back, set free, redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Folks, that's the gospel of grace, that the holy God justifies, that is, makes right, reconciles, brings them back to him in his presence without fear, and sets us free. He redeems us. And it's all through Christ and Christ alone, his atoning work, which is being applied by his Holy Spirit to our sinful and dead hearts. That's adoption, and it is the only way to be a member of God's family, only way to be his child, only way to be saved. And we need to remember that he's, unlike some have said, he's not everyone's father. You hear people erroneously say, speak of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man and everything's going to be okay. And as Steve Brown would say, that smells like smoke and it comes from the pit of hell. Because the truth is God is the creator of all men. He's going to judge all men one day. But he's only the father of his redeemed children. Behold what love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Someone... Oh, a minister I heard one time in some series I was listening on adoption said, Father is the Christian name for God. I love that. Father is the Christian name for No one else can call him Abba, Daddy, except through Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer rightly said, I think everything he said was right, but anyway, J.I. Packer said, how much we make of God being our Father shows how much we understand of Christianity. How much we really appreciate the fact that he's really our Father, this holy God who didn't need us. How much we understand that makes us better understand what Christianity is all about. That this holy God came to us. And he took the initiative. The source of this love is in the Father. Just like with an earthly couple that goes outside their home to adopt the child. It's not the child seeking them. It's the one in the home in the family going to seek the one who's not in the family and bringing them in. The Father came to us. So loved the world that he brought his son into this world to save us. One who's altogether too holy to look on our sins. Penetrated the darkness of our world. He who is from above came down below into our muck and our mire so that he might be the father of his children. And he did it through his son. He so loved the world that he gave his son. The source of this love originates with the father. We see the nature of it is clearly sacrificial. The father gave his son, his only son. And what did the son do? The good shepherd came and he laid down his life for the sheep who didn't love him, the sheep who didn't want him, the sheep who had gone astray. Sacrificial love. And then we see the greatness or infinite greatness of this love. That's what he's saying. Behold, what literally is behold, what kind of love? I mean, is there any love like it? There's nothing that you can compare with the Father's love. Behold, what love. The infinite greatness of this love is seen in two ways. It's seen in the greatness of the gift that was given. He gave his son, his only son. Listen to what First John says. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God sent has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. 
And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, to make things right with the Father. So you see the infinite greatness of this love in the gift that was given. He gave his son, his only son, but you also see it in the recipients of this gift. To whom did he give his son? And for whom did the good shepherd lay down his life? Not for the noble, not for the wise, not for the well-deserving, but for guilty, undeserving sinners that we all are. Back when I was your pastor years ago, it seemed like a lot of years ago, yes, I've shared this story, so some of you may remember, there'd be others, as I say, the new faces. I want to apologize, I should not have said some of y'all need new faces. That was out of order, and it shouldn't have been said in a worship service. I apologize. But anyway, good to see all your faces here, but some of you will not have heard this story. Um, Philip Ryken was pres- um, pastor at 10th Presbyterian. He had followed James Montgomery Boyce there up in Philadelphia. And um, he went to visit one of his members. She was at the latter stages of cancer, and he just wanted to seek to comfort her as a pastor and make sure she was resting in Christ and, and all of that. By this point in her illness, she was sleeping in a bed, a hospital bed in the front room. And so they were sitting there talking, and he noticed her little dog, and he said something to her about it. And she said, I, I don't guess you've heard the story of how I got my dog. He said, well, no, I don't think I have. And she said, well, it was in the early stages of my chemo, and um, one of my friends suggested I get a, go get a dog. Notice it wasn't a cat. A dog. And uh, to be uh, for fellowship, to help you in this hard time. So we went to one of the local animal shelters, and uh, they brought some dogs around. We saw some, and none of them really appealed. They even had one that was kind of listless and withdrawn, and that certainly didn't appeal to her. So she didn't pick one. She went on home, and that night her friend called her and said, I know you're really not that interested in, but would you go back tomorrow? Let's look one more time. And she agreed, rather reluctantly, I think. They went, and they got there and went out into the dog yard, and she was somewhat tired, so she sat down. And they brought that same dog back out that was listless and withdrawn. And you need to know something about this dog. He had been there some four weeks or so and had not responded one time to human contact. The staff had given special attention, gone out of their way to work with this dog. Still nothing worked. And there he sat, helpless and hopeless. And about that time, the lady said, come here, boy. And to everyone's utter amazement, that dog got up and came over and hopped up in her lap. And I don't know if you ever watched Frazier, but it looked kind of like Eddie sitting there, just wriggling like, aren't I really something special? And the people there knew this is God's gift to that dying lady. And after she told her story, they sat there kind of quietly with tears in their eyes and And then she said, you know, that's what God did for me. I'm like that dog. I was like ugly, dirty, lost in my sins. Nobody wanted me except Jesus. And I don't know why he did, but I'm so thankful that he had mercy on me. The greatness of this gift is seen in the gift itself. God gave his son his only son, but it's also seen in the fact that he gave him the people like that lady and like you and me, who are ugly and hopeless and helpless in our sins. But through him we have mercy and forgiveness, propitiation. So if you know Jesus Christ today, and I hope you do, if you don't, you need to put your faith in him. But if you know him, then you can say with John, and we should say with John, with grateful, I'm talking about being thankful for something. Behold, what love the Father, the one who didn't need us in the first place, Oh, what love the Father has bestowed on us, we who by all rights should be in hell forever, that we should be called children of God. 
And because of Jesus Christ, we can say, such we are. Such we are. Father, we cannot ever thank you enough for the greatest of all gifts to the people who deserved it the least. But you gave your son that through him we might have reconciliation, that we might be justified and made right, that we could be redeemed from bondage to sin and death, could have life that we could never lose. And we pray that our lives would be so spent by you and used by you that others too, like that dear lady and others throughout your kingdom, might, others in this world might come to know the one who alone can bring them into the family of God. And we look forward to that day. Father, we, right now we're thinking of Thanksgiving and how great it's going to be with family and friends if we can share that opportunity, but it's nothing compared to that day that comes that will never end when your family will sit down around the Lamb's table and rejoice in the one who is worthy. We praise you in his precious name and for his sake. Amen.